with my little brown Your boobs keep hanging out because you're a slag. Also, no one's going to be able to hear you if you don't come closer to the microphone. My brawler in my Tammy Girl (laughs) top because I don't have boobs. Remember Tammy Girl? I used to love Tammy Girl. That was like the only teen. Tammy Girl and CNA were the only places where you could go and get like... Crack and arse. What? <laughs> Crack and arse. Is that CNA. what you used to think CNA stood for? <laughs> no, it was just a joke in Yorkshire. Hi, my name's Emily Chadbourne. And I'm Rochelle Fisher. And we're a couple of Xennials turning body. Xennials are an often forgotten generation sandwiched between the Gen X and the Millennials. Not quite one, but not quite the other either. We were brought up on Disney princesses, roller skates and Game Boys. Left to flounder through the grunge era of the 1990s and expected to catch up with tech life in the noughties, how prepared was the Xennial woman for the delights and disappointments of the current day? To celebrate our birthdays, Em and I decided to launch our own mini-series dedicated solely to issues that so many Xennial women face today. From egg freezing to ageing to being single, we have interviewed some amazing Xennials with stories to share. Enjoy this episode! Hi Rochelle. Good afternoon Emily, how are you? Good, how are you? I'm great. So, following on from last week with all the social media rant that we had, or you, (laughs) and we kind of came to a conclusion that the only people that could change it are the consumers, which starts with you and I. So, what have you done this week to change your consumer habits around social media? I went on a full social media detox after we recorded that episode. Did you? Yeah. So I... got to do with anything i just spat over myself <laughs> what's that got to do with anything well <laughs> detox no you're such a knob um no i didn't i ate quite a lot of food because i was away in dalesford on like a little mini break with my dog um but i just didn't go on social media for three days and you know how like sometimes it's in the absence of something that you realize that you had something Yes. So like an example of that would be, I didn't realise I was waking up every morning feeling anxious until I stopped drinking and then the anxiousness went away yes. and then I was aware that I had it retrospectively. Yeah. So I hadn't realised until I went on this three day social media detox that I had a belief system and a story that I was playing over and over again, which was that if I did not share my life every single day on social media, people wouldn't want to buy my services and they wouldn't buy into the hub which is my six month coaching program plug right there well plug i hadn't realized how kind of like rampant mm. i was feeling about that like oh my god i haven't been on, on online today okay what am i gonna go and do an insta story i've got to post something and it wasn't until the absence of that that i realized how much of my life had been taken over by this bullshit story that if i'm not showing my life to you on social media i'm not valid as a person and yeah. certainly not valid as a business owner and i don't like to buy into social construct in that way that's not the truth in any way shape or form so in my return from my 3 day social media detox I've just deleted the apps off my phone. That's great. So I don't have Instagram on my phone and I don't have Facebook on my phone Mm. as apps. I do have an old phone because obviously you can't load pictures or anything onto Instagram from a desktop. So I do have an old phone which doesn't have a SIM card and is only connected to my house Wi-Fi. So I'm only going to use Instagram through that phone. So it just means that like, if I'm out and I'm queuing at the post office, I don't pick up my phone to scroll because there's nothing to scroll. I literally, I could check my emails if I wanted to, but nothing exciting happens in my emails. So that's what I've done. And I've just sort of made this commitment to myself that I am worthy without social media. I'm worthy as a business owner without social media. And obviously I'm going to use social media and continue to use social media to inspire other people and through that inspiration and through the education that I give free online some of those people will want to come and work with me through the Unshamedly Human Hub and some of them won't and that's okay but I'm no longer going to use social media in the same way that I have been and already I feel like a different person. Amazing. How about you? How about me? Well I realised that I get a weekly screen report and mine was up 
and I was on four hours and 28 minutes per day. And I mean, that is disgusting. I felt quite embarrassed because obviously I was getting on the tram in the morning and on the night and just scrolling through shit. Yeah, on your Just commute. looking at crap. When I could be sat reading a book or just taking some time to look out the Listening window and meditate. Listening to a podcast yeah. or being alone with your thoughts. Just being alone with mm. my thoughts. So I decided not to do that anymore in the morning or on a night on public transport. I have completely come off social media on a weekend. Nice. So... Saturday and Sunday, no going on Facebook or Instagram. Mm. Um, when I was on Instagram the other day, I actually unfollowed a lot of people I didn't need to see. Yes. I don't need to see people on skinny detox teas. No. I don't need to see how many people are buying things that they don't need. So I just was very mindful of who I want to follow and why. Yeah. So really inspirational, empowering women. Um, from kind of Brené Brown to... Oh, that's really noisy. No, I absolutely hate. There's nothing... I just I just hate it. I just... I, it's so offensive. Why do you need to sit on a piece of machinery and vibrate your testicles like that? Maybe maybe it's pleasurable. Maybe it let's is. Ask, let's ask men out there. If you In. are a bikey <laughs> listening to the Unashamedly 40 podcast, <laughs> please do email emily at emilychabon.com and let me know how it feels when you rev your engine... And does it tickle your testicles? <laughs> so, yeah, I kind of said I will follow people from the likes of Brené Brown just through to girls rocking it. Yeah, and like me and Brené Brown. Yeah, like, like you, know, you Brené Brown. We're in the same kind of classification. Sophie T, the girl in Sydney at the minute who's um, painting all the women's bodies and just kind of embracing women's bodies as they are mm. in their natural form. Yeah, so I think we've both done quite well. High five us. Yeah. Maybe we will check back in next week, shall we? Moving on. I'm so full. I'm so, I had to take my dress off. I mean, I am wearing clothes. <laughs> We're not doing this naked. But I well. had to put stretchy pants on. Nice. We've just been out for a Mother's Day lunch because it is Mother's Day here in Australia on the day of recording this episode. And both Rochelle and I have mothers who went and bloody died on us cheeky Sheilas um, and instead of doing our usual on Mother's Day where we sit at home all by myself being really sad yeah we decided actually it was Rochelle's idea I will give you credit you booked the table though. I booked the table but it was your idea she was like let's go out and celebrate our mother's lives and swap stories of our mothers so we've just been out for a really beautiful meal in celebration of our mothers on mother's day yeah so in light of it being mother's day i was looking at the perfect gift to get you on the internet because i thought like you have theodore so basically you are a mother true um so i found the perfect gift and i also they had a mother's day special which i got a 200 gift voucher win-win i know amazing <laughs> so i'm booking you in for a lady of plastic. <laughs> oh, no. Is that a Mother's Day special so on, I'm, how do you say it, labiaplasty? Labiaplasty. And that's so, when you get your fanny flaps cut. <laughs> so you know how we were having a chat the other week about Instagram and everything around sort of how the world's changed and plastic surgery and someone was talking to me about designer vaginas the other day. And we actually used to do quite a lot of labiaplasties in the UK. So I just looked it up. And the first thing when you Google in labiaplasty was this clinic in Australia. And it says Mother's Day special offer. I mean, can you imagine? Hey, mum, I came out sorry, your vagina. <laughs> I trashed for, it. Sorry for destroying your vagina. So I thought I'd, I'd fix it for you. That is. But I, it's... It's funny. It's a funny thing. But it's not. But it's also really tragic, isn't it? Like, yeah. how did we come to a place where we are looking at our vaginas and deeming them to be unattractive to the point that we want to have cosmetic? Now, functional surgery, I get it. Oh, if you've had three kids and, like, it's a fucking bowling alley or something down there and you want to get that tightened for your own pleasure, I, I, I get it. Or discomfort. Or if you're uncomfortable or if there mm. is something, you know, medically going on that means that, you know... A prolapse. Absolutely. Yeah, I totally 100%. understand it. But if it's because you've been watching pornography and you think that you should have a bleached, hairless asshole and a neat little vagina 
that looks like champagne silver's little vagina i don't know if who champagne <laughs> silver is she sounds like a my little pony actually but i meant that she was a porn star oh, definitely a porn star then i think that's a worry but is it because porn is so accessible like if we well, picked the, up our phone now and i put in i don't know big dick special <laughs> i feel like you've said big dick special before i haven't it was the first thing that came into my head it's available now in a way that it's never been available yeah before. but also have... it's never been i mean i don't know because i can only speak from my lived experience in my particular generation but you think back to like my grandma's generation so the generation before the boomers like what did they have the less ladies which were quite Beautiful. Hairy and beautiful and different and and they were no, skinny little women. No, either. they were curvy and that was celebrated. Mm. And there was no plastic surgery to be had. So mm. you know, with a lot of makeup and some feathers in your hair, what you got was what you got. It's only been our generation where the internet has been readily available. And even when we were teenagers, it wasn't available. No, it's been the millennial generation who've had access as they were growing up to the internet and the moment you have access to the internet you have access to pornography and I don't think that enough is being done about that there's been so much I've read about not just about how it affects women and our image of our own bodies and I think the consequence of that is here's a Mother's Day special go and get your vagina sorted out so that it looks better I like I find that yeah absolutely <laughs> petrifying but it's also how we relate to sex, how we relate to intimacy, what young guys are learning about sex. Like if your first experience of sex is porn, what are you learning about how to respect women, what love is, what intimacy is, what foreplay is? Like you're just being shown girls being taken advantage of and beasted. Like I, I, I really think that it goes further than and we Design have these, of vaginas. We have these body parts for reasons. There is a brilliant artist. I say brilliant. I mean, it depends on what you like. His name is Jamie McCartney. It's interesting that it's a guy and a woman who has done this. But he did, a few years ago, something called The Great Wall of Vagina. Okay. Which is basically hundreds of casts of various different vaginas that he then just displayed on this big, massive wall. Mm. And the idea was that it showed how every vagina is different and not one is good and not one is bad. They are all, as, as our faces are different, so are our vaginas, right? Yeah. We shouldn't all have plump lips. We shouldn't all have wrinkle-free foreheads. We shouldn't all have petite noses. We shouldn't all have high cheekbones, nor should we all have porn star vaginas. Anyway, I read an article recently that his next installment if you like of this great wall of vagina mm. artwork that he's doing is and I might mispronounce this Monsivitano Monsivitano something like Monsivitano. that Monsivitano Espana, and he is doing a cast of a woman from every single country in the world wow and following that he's going to do a cast of every state in America wow and he wrote something which i thought was really really interesting and i'd like to share it with you the vagina became this whole new place to shame women around because there's money to be made in shaming people there's a whole industry base set up to persuade women they're defective wow and i think that says absolutely everything yeah about the modern culture that we are living in your vagina isn't good enough, your face isn't good enough, your weight isn't good enough, you are not good enough. And if you are to be desirable and therefore loved and accepted by today's society, you must look this way. And if you don't look this way, don't worry about it because we have a solution. All you need to do is pay me $7,000 and I'll make your fucking vagina look like a porn star's. When I used to live in England, I lived in a beautiful little village called Saltaire. And it was a model village um, done on a guy called Sir Titus Salt, who had a Sir Titus, Titus Salt. Salt. So it was called Salt's Mill Saltair. And he had oh, this. Oh, that's cool. If I have another dog, I'm going to call him Sir Titus Salt. No, you're not. I am. I'm going to call my dog Theodora. <laughs> That'd be cute, wouldn't it? Theodora yeah. and Theodora. Cute. So Sir Titus Salt had a mill, and he decided that why should all the workers be traveling in and out every day. He's going to build this beautiful model village 
around the mill so all the workers can just be there. Yeah, and when um, you say model village, you don't mean like for the borrowers. It's not like a no. small village. You mean he just purposefully made this village for yeah. his commuters? I mean, the houses were really small, but, yeah. you know. <laughs> Years later, there was a pub in the village called Fanny's Ale House. Excellent. And because he named all the streets after his kids, and one street was actually called Fanny Street. Because he thought, had a girl called Fanny. Yeah. I actually thought about buying a house on Fanny Street because there was one for sale. But then I realised quite quickly that I couldn't because I would have been called Rochelle Fisher, 8 Fanny Street. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. It's the number eight. How like, good would that be? skip that one, don't you? It'd be like six, oh, seven. Who shall I make this nine. out to, please? Uh, yes, I'd like you to send it to my friend Rochelle Fisher, 8 Fanny Street. <laughs> so anyway, there was a pub called Fanny's Ale House. And in there, and it might have been from David Hockney, there was this huge picture. And it was, again, this collage or montage. Montage. Montage of all these different vaginas. So, you know, it's something to be celebrated. I mean, a human comes out of there. A human comes out of the vagina. Yes. It's not so meant I'm to... So I'm sorry if it doesn't look like... Sorry if there's a few dangly flaps every now and again, you know. But what do they do with the flaps? Well, is that what labia, labiaplasty is? Yeah. Removal of too yeah. much flap. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, sometimes women will have quite a bit, so it'll chafe. Um, Understandable. You know what? If you're chafing, get that shit whipped off. Yeah. Yeah. So, in England, you could actually... Um, I only know this because I used to work in an operating theatre in England. Not that I've had it done myself. Just... <laughs> telling everyone out there it was readily available on the NHS I'm talking like 10 years ago if it was an issue so discomfort rubbing chafing those yeah. kind of things as opposed to oh my boyfriend doesn't like the look of it yeah but I did work in a private hospital but we used to see a lot of NHS cases so then the plastic surgeons so there were a few private cases coming through that went in their design of vagina as well but yeah they just take them off with a bit of an electrosurgeon you know Anyway, I won't go into and that much what detail. what to the flap? Well, they either go in the bin or they go off for pathology, depending on what needs to be done. Imagine that. <laughs> flap in a jar. Flap in a jar. <laughs> Can I take my flaps home, please? <laughs> oh, gross. You actually can't take anything home that comes out of your body because it's classed as medical waste. Really? Yeah. What if I wanted to take my appendix home? They don't let no, you do you that. No, you can't. It's medical waste. It's oh. going to go in medical waste. That's interesting. So I couldn't take my flaps home. No, I couldn't sorry. have a jar of flaps because that <laughs> may, may be what you're getting next Mother's Day. <laughs> what is this, Emily? Those are my flaps, my fanny flaps in a jar for you. Uh, I I am literally speechless. There's not many times I'm speechless, but I don't have a comeback for that. I wouldn't give you my flaps. <laughs> I wouldn't want yours or anyone else's for that matter. Thank you. Talking flap off. <laughs> Oh, God, that went downhill quickly, didn't it? Yeah, anyway. Talking of female vaginas, I'd like to introduce you to our guest who has an excellent name. It's Emily. Oh, I thought you were going to say Rochelle. No, she's also British, and she is here to talk to us today about the perimenopause. Great. Something that you and I need to be educated on, because I feel like it's happening to me. It is. Definitely, yeah, it's definitely, something is definitely changing. All right, let's have a listen and then we'll come back to your perimenopausal symptoms. Today I have the great privilege of welcoming another Emily to the conversation about the wonders of turning 40 and beyond. So this Emily is also from the UK, hurrah, and has kindly agreed to talk to me today about the perimenopause, which frankly is something that, I mean, I'd never even heard the word until about 18 months ago. I obviously heard about the menopause, but never this idea that your body prepared for the menopause. I thought you just went skidded straight into it. So I've been doing a little bit of research and Emily's Facebook group first of all came up and then um, through that I found the perimenopausal hub which is a community that she has built of practitioners and of women to help support women as they transition into the next hormonal stage of life. Emily you started your perimenopausal symptoms at the age of 39. Was it a shock to you and what were your sort of symptoms? Yes it was a shock in, in short it really was a shock. 
I went from training for Ironman triathlons to suddenly just having no energy at all. So the contrast was just so stark. I couldn't really, I couldn't ignore it. And for me, the fatigue was the real biggie to start with and unexplained weight gain. I didn't seem to be eating differently. I was still trying to exercise as much as I had been. And also then I can only refer to them as psycho bitch episodes, if I'm honest. <laughs> I was just, I would literally just fly off the handle and feel like I was watching myself like out of body whilst I'm just going out of the room and then coming back in. And another thing. Oh my God, this isn't me. So yeah, I, I sort of went to the doctor and went, I don't know what's going on. And the first doctor I saw, I clearly didn't believe she went, this could be to do with the menopause. <laughs> I'm 39 and I still have periods. Of course it isn't. Oh, little did I know. Yeah, well, that would have been my response as well. Like the menopause is when, number one, you're old, whatever that means, yeah. but certainly not 39. And number two, when your periods stop. Everything yeah, dries up and you head to retirement and your hair goes grey and you join the WI and you start knitting. Totally. And you might start like getting loads of cats because frankly, you've given up on life because you're in the menopause. That's totally what I thought. It took about three and a half years to actually agree with the doctor that it was perimenopause, that it was hormonal, that it was everything just going completely crazy. So what did you do for those three and a half years? Because one of the things that I was reading recently is that the unexplained weight gain can be really quite traumatic for women, especially if they are used to having active, healthy lifestyles. And like you say, nothing has changed other than the rise in fatigue. So in those three and a half years while you were in menopausal denial, um, what were you doing? What were, what were your thought processes? I mean, there was there was a distinct phase of self, self-loathing. Um, There was a lot of feeling very, very lost. There was a lot of lack of confidence and, you know, just all those things that just pull the rug out from underneath you and you don't even know why that's happening. And it was it was really difficult. And and now since I've set up the hub, I see so many women experiencing the same. And that is one of the early symptoms is kind of increased anxiety, low mood, mood fluctuations and this kind of sense of just not being right, which mm. can be very difficult for a doctor to diagnose and can be very difficult for a woman to live through, you know. You don't have children, do no. you? And that is, that's that's by choice, you're childless by choice. <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm allergic to children. <laughs> <laughs> I know that feeling. I think they see me coming and they're like, play up. <laughs> um, yeah. That was a decision that you consciously made with your partner. Did you feel as you were sort of moving into the sort of perimenopausal transitional phase, did you begin to feel any differently? Did you begin to feel like, well, that was fine to choose that while I still had the choice, but now maybe that choice is being taken away from me. Was that any different for you? Or were you the whole time just like, nah, I am absolutely 100% firm in my decision to live without children? I am absolutely 100% firm. When I was little, I always thought that by the age of 25, don't know why 25, I would be married with children because that's what you do, right? Mm. Then I got to 25 and went, <laughs> yeah, no, I could go off and do ski seasons. That's way more fun. And and sort of carried on and carried on. And, and then when I got together with my partner, which was 2010, the day after we got together, I kind of sat him down and went, right. Um, so I feel like this is going to be serious. I definitely don't want children. So if you do, we need to not, you know, we need to just not. And he was like, oh, my God, no, let's just go to the pub. This is brilliant. (laughs) (laughs) Let's just go to the pub. So fast forward to 10 years from that. And in that time, I haven't even considered wavering. It's just not something that's on my radar. And I see friends who've had children relatively late. And I think, oh, my God, if if I had children running around, and the fatigue that I went through, and the mood swings, and everything else. I mean, it would just be a perfect storm for the pure hell for the poor children and pure hell for me. So, no, I'm very happy in my decision. Can I ask, have other, how have other people reacted to your decision? For the most part, positively, actually. Yeah. I think I'm fairly um, upfront about it. So I know in the, the generally in the child-free community, a lot of people get the sort of the child-free bingos thrown at them. of like, oh, who will look after you when you're old? And 
oh, you'll never know love like it and things like that. And I haven't been on the receiving end of too much of that. I'm, I'm glad to say. But my my opening gambit does tend to be when people go, oh, so how many kids do you have? And I say, oh, none, because I'm allergic. And people just go, OK, I'm just going to walk away from the weird lady. Yeah. And so they don't hassle me about it. <laughs> well, I think that's a really interesting point that you bring up. Like Anything in life, I always think if you lead with a sense of self-certainty, what you're doing energetically is you're communicating to the person who you're in conversation with, like, don't fuck with me. Actually, this isn't yeah. up for discussion. Your judgment isn't welcomed here. And quite frankly, I don't really care about your opinion. And you can do that with compassion and you can do it with love, but it is a very firm boundary. And as my narrative is beginning to become more important for other people about, you know, being a childless by choice and turning 40 and choosing all of these lifestyle choices, which might not necessarily be conforming to what even I thought I would be choosing for myself at this age I have found that the best way to deal with other people and that is just to be very certain in myself because the moment that we expose ourselves through uncertainty that's when people jump in and try and persuade you with their opinion because they think that the way that they're doing life is right and that's fine rock on it's right for them no judgment about how anyone else wants to live their life but you know I do think um, as you rightly say leading with certainty doesn't give anybody else to share their judgment piece doesn't give space for it no absolutely and what's interesting is that even in very random contexts I mean it's amazing the conversations that you end up having where you think I don't think my uterus needed to be a part of this conversation but apparently it is as soon as I turn around and say that people go you're very sensible I ended up with four and I'm like how do you just end up with four children do, do, do other people not take any control of their life choices? Because to me, but you know, I remember when I when I was about sixteen and first started taking the pill, it was like, okay, made it through another month, right? Then, you know, got to twenty, woohoo! Not a te- not a teen teenage pregnancy statistic, phew! And then kind of each each month, each year, each month, each year, and and it kind of culminated in me going, maybe this shows me that I don't want this. Mm. Mm. and I remember with um before I met Steve my partner I was doing the whole online dating bullshit and I was chatting to my mum about it and she said Emily I mean I don't know why you're just narrowing the field so much and not accepting to even communicate with a man who has children and I was like but why on earth if I don't want my own why on earth would I want someone else's and she and a couple of days later, we were shopping together and there was this child having an absolute meltdown. And I was like, mum, that has never touched the topic ever again. <laughs> the idea to be a step parent, I mean, huge kudos to people who can be step parents. I mean, amazing respect to people. But the idea that you are second fiddle to everybody, yes. it, it, I just couldn't do that. I'm too selfish. Yeah. For- partner to have a priority that's more important than me that and I know that about myself I'm not going to judge that about myself but it does mean that as I continue to consciously and purposefully and with intent choose my lifestyle I and design the life that I'm living I know full well that unless your children are fully adult <laughs> I'm not going near it and yeah, maybe not but even, even then, even then there would then be them. grandchildren and you, there would be an expectation that you would babysit the grandchildren. I just, just, it's a no. It's an absolute no from me. Yeah. Well, your certainty in self, I think, really shows through. Do you think that's really helped you through perimenopausal symptoms? Um, I think once I had a word for what I was experiencing, yes, 100%. I've then been able to sort of embrace it, take it on board and go, right, this is, this is me. This is, this is what's happening. The confusion of the three and a half years from when the symptoms started until I actually got a word was horrible because I just felt completely lost and just didn't know didn't know what was going on. But yeah, that honestly, the sense of relief when I finally came out from the doctor and we'd agreed <laughs> that it was hormonal, that it was this transition towards menopause and that it was a natural life stage. It's like, oh, thank God for that. I'm not actually losing the plot. I haven't got some hideous illness. It's okay. And then what happened? So three and a half years goes by and it's all pretty clunky. And then 
finally you're like okay this is a transition that my body is going through it's called the perimenopause then what happened for you (laughs) then I came home and googled yay and what I kept finding was that everything like out there seemed to be aimed at women at menopause so in their 50s and with this gray hair and feeling very old and I was like I'm not that person and I still have periods and I'm you know I'm not I'm not like getting ready to have grandkids because frankly I will never be old enough to have kids as we've obviously covered off and I was just like wow I don't I don't fit in there at all these are not my people you know and I also noticed that the groups that I was finding were either peer support with a a leaning towards a lot of moaning or were one person pushing their way of sorting menopause symptoms and I kind of thought, well, surely there isn't a one size fits all. Surely everybody is going to go through this differently. Everybody experiences different symptoms at different times. You know, as I said earlier, the, the anxiety and kind of loss of self can come really quite early. And the, the stereotypical hot flushes don't come until much, much later for most women. So at different stages, different people want different things and need different things and want to approach it differently. And so I sort of thought, I wonder if I could just bring together some experts and just, you know, help women feel less lost and and so I kind of started <laughs> kind of snowballed <laughs> and here we are <laughs> well I love that and I'm always a huge um, lover of anybody who starts something from passion because I think the moment that you start from something from passion like the passion to help women the passion to create your own space so that you have a community of like-minded women those tend to be the things that do snowball because you know the the vibrational frequency behind it is one of pure intent and if you need that service if you need that community if you need that support then damn right there are going to be many other women who do as well so you were a PT you are a PT you were a PT so you're a PT what has what's the importance of physical exercise do you think with managing symptoms of perimenopause especially if women are experiencing um, increased fatigue so this is a really this is a really tricky one because at PT school and in the world at large we're always told that all exercise is good and therefore more exercise is better and yeah exercise my backstory kind of gives a pretty strong indication that that isn't always the case because I was still desperately trying to keep training for these Ironman triathlons and whilst the fatigue was getting worse and worse and worse and worse and I was not listening to my body at all I do now by the way (laughs) I learned that one um and things I learned along the way is that a lot of endurance cardio adds an extra stress on the body so without getting really deep down into it but stress generally can have a massive impact on our hormones and can make perimenopause symptoms much worse so it's no particular surprise to me anyway that people are experiencing it worse nowadays when we tend to have more stressful jobs women tend to be also working whereas you know 50 years ago women were often in the home still and didn't have those levels of stress around them and then if you add in endurance exercise you're adding more stress hurrah And yet you think that you're doing the thing that will be managing your stress, but you aren't necessarily. Now, I'm not for a second saying that people should just knock it on the head and stop moving. That is not what I'm saying at all. But it may be that depending on your symptoms and depending on what your body's telling you, you may need to just change what you do. So for me, that means I need to do more weight training. And generally, we need to do more weight training as we get older because there is a an increased risk of osteoporosis so the more that we can protect our bones the better but also I now walk loads but I don't run because I know running literally depletes my energy immediately it doesn't give me any of the positives that it used to a lot of women find that yoga is massively helpful I just am not in that place yet I love Pilates and I know that you know ostensibly to the outside world there's not a huge amount you know it's mat work and it's getting you stronger it's just something about yoga I'm just not there yet you know maybe I never will maybe I will who knows yeah totally well like you say it's not one size fits all is it everyone is so completely different so you know obviously your exercise regime is going to be different and I think that's just really important thing to bear in mind as well is that 
you know, as you are going through your hormonal changes or even just your like personal development or your spiritual development, like what works for one person doesn't necessarily, isn't necessarily going to work for you. And, you know, everyone's trauma is different. Everyone's body is different. Everyone's hormones level, they're all different. And so you really do, it's more about finding the right community and then cherry picking the right strategies that work for you. Absolutely. And and what I really advocate is learning to listen to your own body. Mm. So you know, I, I, <laughs> I talk about this a lot <laughs> in, in the Facebook group and stuff, but, you know, just tracking your cycle so that you learn when you have energy, when you don't, when you crave certain foods, when you crave other foods, when your sleep is good, when your sleep is bad, when your mood is uh, questionable and therefore others should steer clear. You know, all of those things, actually, just by tracking, you get to know your own body and then you can kind of go, right, OK, well, I'm coming up to that week, so I'd better buy in lots of tins of rice pudding because frankly that's going to be the only thing I want to eat but I know that next week I'm going to want to eat all the salads it removes any of the guilt around it it removes and it's just unleashing your superpower basically and going you know what this is just what my body needs and the same goes for exercise you know I know in the next few days because of where I am in my cycle I will have way more energy and I will do way more I know that last week mm -mm, no yeah, I'm definitely in that week of my cycle where I would like to eat all of the chocolate, sit on my sofa and cry. Um, but it's it's taken me 40 years to get to the point where I really understand that about myself and I give myself permission and I don't sit in the shame of it. And again, I think that's because, you know, I was thrown on the pill at the age of 15 because my periods were heavy. So I didn't know my cycle until the last five years. I just I didn't I know. know my own body. It's crazy, isn't it? And it's something that in the in the fullness of time you know I have many many things on the back burner that are going to happen eventually but one of those is going to be an education for younger women you know late teens early 20s of the importance of learning your cycle and the fact that we are not little men we are women and our hormones massively impact on every day every week in a very different way to how you know men men tend to be much more kind of continuous with their moods and with their fatigue or, or energy or whatever and we we aren't and that doesn't make us wrong or bad or anything else it's, it just means we're different and that's that should be celebrated we should be enhancing that you know embracing that superpower and going okay 23 year old me whatever right I've, I've got this job and it's going to be brilliant and actually I'm going to manage my diary knowing that I can clinch all of the sales in that week and I can do all the follow-up work in that week and frankly there's no point me trying to mix those over because I shouldn't be peopling in that week but I shouldn't be trying to do attention to detail in that week I mean how much how amazing would we all be if we just took that on board yeah and it makes me wonder when did we lose that innate wisdom about our own bodies and why has it been so whittled out of us? And I'm not here to rant about the patriarchy, but let's be honest, this conversation was never going to happen without one of us dropping the P word. And I don't mean period. You know, like a, an angry woman is a dangerous woman. A galvanized woman is a dangerous woman. A woman who has her opinion, a woman who is driven, a woman who is erratic is seen to be unnatural or wrong you know we should be in our kind of like maternal you know like with a gatherer with a nurturer and I I can be those things child child free I can still be those things but I can also be a raging raging doer and I get stuff done and I'm really productive and and I think it's the tides and the seasons of being a woman that actually is so powerful and I think probably thousands of years ago was actually very very confronting for men and yeah. and I think they've done throughout the ages everything in their power to subdue that and and I think we're rising up against that now and I think thank god it's time so I read something the other day <laughs> this just still makes my brain fall out apparently I think it was in the 60s or the 70s um some studies were carried out to understand the effect of decreasing estrogen on the body estrogen that's a female hormone right believe so all the subjects in the study were male amazing I mean there's just no words for that is there 
and and the same another one sorry you've got me on my rant now I apologize yeah, Emily. <laughs> you've lit the blue touch paper I'm off so <laughs> I'll see you on the other side let's go so I was chatting to Dr Susie who is the the doctor on the the perimenopause hub we were just generally chatting about stuff and I was talking about the fact that my mum has a rare neurological condition called transverse myelitis this is only relevant because right TM in the UK there's about 300 diagnoses a year that's right Susie told me she learned more about TM at university at medical school than she did about menopause <gasps> no 51% of the population goes through menopause versus, versus 300 diagnoses a year mm-hmm. that is outstanding yeah and, and no wonder we're struggling no wonder there's not the, the help out there and this is the thing you know every single day I see people posting in the hub saying oh I went to my doctor and I just got dismissed and this 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 and I'm like well this is really frustrating on a personal level for each of us but actually when you look at the bigger picture the doctors aren't being remiss the education of the doctors is where the problem is Mm. and so I feel that we all of us it is our duty (laughs) to educate ourselves to educate future generations to take back control of our body and our medical interactions and to that end to work with our doctors so Going back to what I was saying about tracking, you know, the more that we get used to what our body's doing and so we can see when things are different, we can actually take that to the doctor and say, look, I know you can't necessarily help me immediately, but look, these things are changing. So this tells me that this is hormonal. So what can we do to address this rather than, as I did in the first instance, turning up with a post-it going, I feel really shit for these reasons. Help me. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Funnily enough, the poor doctor's like, uh, there's some antidepressants that might help which obviously I totally see why they did that because the things I was presenting with it made sense but if I had known what I know now I would have gone in and gone right okay so I've been tracking for the last three months and these things aren't normal and and actually once I started realizing that things were probably hormonal I started tracking on my phone as you do the app I use doesn't have an export function so I (laughs) painstakingly put it all into excel so I could pull out graphs I'm that person (laughs) and and that was just liberating because I was like oh there is a link oh hang on right now I've got something to take to the doctor following on from that like the sort of misconception or the misdiagnosis of you know like oh I'm I'm presenting these symptoms and they do sound depressive and like you say if if they're if your GP hasn't been educated because they've been busy spending their time learning about TM instead of menopause obviously it's it's a natural kind of like oh that sounds like depression here are some antidepressants what are the other sort of common misconceptions that you hear about sort of perimenopause or that women bring to you especially when it comes to things like dealing with their partners and trying to explain it to their friends who might not be having the same sort of symptoms so this is this is where it's really difficult because we do all get a slightly different kind of cocktail of symptoms there you know there isn't a standard path through it which makes it difficult for us to identify what's going on but it makes it difficult for the doctors to you know, work with us and stuff. The thing that I hear day in, day out is people being dismissed for being too young, which which leads me nicely onto another of my rants. You're getting all of them today, sorry. In the UK, the average age to go through the menopause is 51. They define the menopause by having gone 12 months period free. Okay, so 51 is the average age in the UK to reach that. Perimenopause, so the whole transition time from when you're, everything is normal, you're in your standard fertile years, until you reach that point can last sort of 10 to 12 years. For some women, it's only sort of two or three years, but it can last up to 10 to 12 years. So basic maths lesson here, right? We've got to an average of 51, okay? So that by rights means that some women are 56 when they reach that, some women are 46 when they reach that, some women are 58, some are 47, you know, whatever, it's an average. Mm. Then you've got the 10 to 12 years beforehand. Suddenly 39 isn't very young. No, suddenly 39 makes total sense. And yet I even hear of women at 49 being told they're too young. 
at 50 being told they're too young. So that's one of the huge misconceptions that, you know, the more I can do podcasts like this, the more I talk about it, the more I just keep ranting, basically. The more we slowly but surely, all of us collectively, can get this point across that actually things will start changing. You know, you don't stay as fertile as you were at 20 until your period stops. So by rights, things are going to start changing. Just as when you're in your teens, you don't suddenly start your periods and then puberty's done with and you're suddenly a fully fledged adult. Like it makes complete sense that there would be a reverse puberty at the other end. Mm. And yet we're never told to expect it. So it makes it very difficult because you suddenly get plunged into this thing and you think, Jesus Christ, who the what the and yet if you just had an idea that things might start changing, I think that would make it much, much easier to accept that it's coming. So, you know, I love the fact that you're doing this podcast and you're at the age where things will start changing quite soon. And presumably your listeners are therefore in that same sort of age bracket. And you know, if we can start saying, right, guys, start start tracking now so you can see what your normal is. Mm. And then when things start to change you're so far ahead of the game Mm. once you know what your normal cycle is you know when you're a psycho horrible person you can communicate that to the people around you you can go to watch just don't even speak to me unless you're bringing chocolate and wine don't Mm. come near me in the next two days yeah um and then you know as that sort of intensifies or magnifies or gets a bit more random the people around you already know Mm. you get the chocolate and wine phase Mm -hmm. yes that or go and dig a new patio get on with it you know and and we're not having we're not sort of in the dark about it and you know if you bring the people around you with you it's easier for them to sort of see what's going on because I I hear about a lot of people's significant others going oh you're just blaming everything on the menopause and it's like well actually it it's all encompassing this is this is my life now you know my hormones are changing all the time so yeah actually I do blame a lot of things on it but if you if the conversation, if the dialogue is open, yeah. then it's much easier for the people around you to kind of help you and support you. I remember once having a horrible bout of PMS with um, an ex-boyfriend. And just like you say, you know, when you just turn into that kind of like ranting crazy woman just for a couple of days. And, you know, he just didn't get it. He was just like, look, I know it's your period and I know it's your hormones and stuff. But he was like, but you were just like really mean. And I was like, I can't explain to you how it feels to be so not in yourself, to be watching yourself from the sidelines, being like, I know logically that he's done nothing wrong. And I cannot control the words that come out of my mouth. I cannot control the feeling. I cannot control that rage. It is very disempowering feeling actually, because you really do feel psychotic. And I remember turning around to him and saying, if men experienced that disassociation as a result of their hormones, there would have been something done about it by now. But they don't. So we just get told, uh, we either medicate it with the pill or we get told that we have to deal with it. And it's indescribable to somebody else unless they've experienced it themselves. And that is why sisterhood is so important because, you know, I can say to a couple of my girlfriends who I know experience the same premenstrual symptoms as me, and I can just be like, it's that time. And they're like, what do you need? We'll drop it at the door, but we're not hugging you because you might rip our face off. And, and, you know, that, that level of understanding is, so important and it's so comforting and I can only imagine how important that is as you know more and more transition takes place and I do think that there needs to be more normalization and I do think it needs to be an open conversation and god willing one day it will be the sort of conversation that we can have in the boardroom and be like actually ceo according to my menstrual cycle actually i don't want to do that job at that time or i'm not going to present to the board on that date and and again i think if men were these seasonal creatures in the same way that women are those conversations would already be be happening at that sort of level but you know hopefully the tide is changing and less mystery less shame less lack of complete complete lack of education is happening and certainly um your work is really doing something to help that so tell us a little bit about the hub so obviously the hub was born from your 
need to have that sort of level of community what I love about the hub is that you have brought together so many different holistic practitioners from all sorts of walks of life you've got a fitness hub you've got the nutrition hub you've got the acceptance hub which is my personal favorite I think um, because accepting the change is, is a it's a whole thing you've got the medical hub and then you've also got the holistic hub I just think you know bringing all of these support networks together for women to to have access to such a phenomenal idea like where do you see the hub going from here on because it's a monthly membership isn't it the hub no it isn't actually there is we have hub plus which is a separate bit which is a monthly membership and in in hub plus we dig down into a topic each month and that's so that's the subscription but the the main hub is completely free because I want it to be available to everybody, regardless of financial situation. In my little ideal world, women arrive feeling lost, crap, rubbish, don't know what's going on. And by dipping their toe into the different hubs and seeing what's what and potentially working with some of the experts and stuff, they ultimately get to this acceptance point when they go, okay, this is me. Bring the rest of my life on. I've got this. And that's where I want everybody to get to. And And to get to that, it doesn't matter if yoga is their thing, if HRT is their thing, if they need to sort out past traumas. It doesn't it simply doesn't matter. But in my little ideal world, I want everybody, every woman by the end of perimenopause or ideally sooner, you know, by mid perimenopause to go, okay, I've got this. I'm ready for the rest of my life. I've got this. And that may mean that they've set boundaries in place that they never have done before. It may mean that they've changed jobs it may mean that they've ditched a partner it may mean they've moved house there might be there can be quite a lot of big changes that happen in this in this life stage because actually for a lot of women it's the first time that they go oh I genuinely don't have any more shits to give about that Mm. and they've been giving themselves to everybody around them they've been giving themselves to their kids to their partner to their job to everything and they suddenly go because their hormones go the woman goes I can't deal with this shit anymore Mm. right let's pare this down to what I need in my life and that's that's really it's really liberating it's brilliant and what a beautiful way to reassure women that that actually can be the start of something new instead of the end of your life because certainly I mean when my mum went through the menopause whether it was peri or full I've got I've got no idea but I do remember at a very young age relatively young because remember up until 18 months ago, I just thought you were fertile and then menopause. Um, So I just assumed that my mum went through the menopause at around sort of 42, 43. I remember that because, you know, I was in my teenage years. So it was a whole heap of hormones going on for my poor father. But, you know, I just remember it being um, not really spoken about, but really known. And my interpretation of it, and I think fed from my mum's energy around it, was that everything was ending. And actually, it's not. It's just the transition and the beautiful beginning to the next phase of your life. And how wonderful now to have a bit more testosterone and have that kind of hormonal, you know, energy, which is I care less, you know, be a bit more like a man, give less of a shit, go get yours, do your thing. And I think what a wonderful way to sort of reframe what the menopause is all about which is like the gateway to the next bit of your life and yeah it is it is an end of a part of your life but that doesn't mean it's the end of everything Mm. it just means it's an end of that chapter and you know we don't when we read a book we don't go oh the chapter is over I can't continue the book you know we just read the next chapter and you know this is a chapter in in the whole in the whole book you know it's a it's a fairly um dramatic chapter (laughs) and I hope it leads to karma chapters (laughs) (laughs) but it's just one more chapter you know yeah that's a beautiful way to describe it you have certainly enlightened me you've definitely entertained me and I can't thank you enough for the hub Facebook group and the hub plus because you know I've been having a look through it and I'll I'll be definitely subscribing and taking advantage of the contacts which you've provided through the other practitioners who are offering their services as well. Um, very needed conversation. And um, thank you very much for having with it. With, uh, 
having it with me today. Um, I did just want to round off our conversation with a few questions that we ask every guest. The first one, what is your fondest memory from the 1980s? It can be a trend, music, fashion and TV programme. Probably music in particular, wham. Oh, oh, George. Top of the pops every Thursday. You know, that was really important. It was. It was so important. It was like a really like a like my week revolved around Top of the Pops. And I remember Top of the Pops when the um, microphone still had leads. Yes. Before wireless mics. Yep. I remember that. Top of the Pops was everything. Top of the Pops and then recording Ray, BBC Radio 1's Top 40 on your cassette player. Yes. Pressing pause so that you didn't get the DJ talking, ideally, and letting go of pause just in time. Yeah, my sister was very skilled at that. Me, less so. But she had like impeccable timing. What was the biggest difference for you between turning 30 and then turning 40? Since I've turned 40, I feel much more settled in my own skin. In my 30s, I think I I was still trying to be a grown up. So I turned 30 while I was still doing ski seasons. And then I came back to the UK and went, oh, right, I probably ought to get a proper job and a proper boyfriend and, you know, be a grown up. And frankly, (laughs) it really didn't go well for me. I'm not designed for that. And it was when I sort of let go of all that and went, or I could just be me. That could work. And certainly since I've been 40, my sense of just me is stronger and stronger every day. How wonderful is it when we learn that we don't have to conform to the construct of society and that actually... It's a mere suggestion as opposed to, you know, this is what you absolutely have to do to be happy. Because if that was the truth, then everyone would be happy, right? But they're not. Yeah. And what has been your greatest life lesson to date? Trust your gut intuition. I won't bore you with the details of how I learned that because it was a long drawn out saga involving an ex when I was trying to be a grown up. But my gut reaction was correct from the start. And a year later, I finally had it all confirmed that my gut reaction was right. And I have always trusted it ever since. And isn't it often in, I'm going to use the word failure, because I think we should not shy away from the word failure. I think we should embrace it as the pathway to success. But it's so funny that it's so often in those failures where you're like, oh, I didn't do that thing. And actually, what great evidence, what great proof that that was my intuition speaking and it was right all the time. Yeah. And I think, you know, the world flings these things at us, you know, to go, right, you're not listening. You need to learn this lesson. How much more loudly do we need to show the lesson to you? Here it is. And yeah, the universe gave me quite a big lesson. And I was like, oh, I see. Yeah. Oh, so all the answers are in me. That's a huge thing that underpins the whole of the hub is trying to pass that on to other women to go, look, inside you, you know what's best for you. No one else does. You do. Yeah. And you have full autonomy over your body over your uterus over what you choose to consume what you choose to believe and how you choose to manage the transition of your life absolutely 100% and don't don't be pushed around by other people whether that's doctors whether that's diet companies whether that's media just stick to your guns do what's right for you so self-diagnosis of the perimenopause I'm there. And so there. What I found really interesting was that the average age of menopause was, was it 52, she said? Mm. 51, 52. And your body prepares for that for 10 years, which is technically perimenopausal. Now, I'm 40. So. Oh, you didn't know that. (laughs) So, you know, if I'm going to go through menopause at 50, I am perimenopausal now. I feel perimenopausal. I do. And. When Emily was saying about that she was doing sort of triathlons and she had a lot of energy and then that just stopped, I obviously a few years ago was doing triathlons and felt very fit, out on my bike all the time. But this year I don't have the same energy Mm. and I do get tired more. And I have, I mean, I'm not big, but I've put on five kilos and I'm not eating anything. My diet's not changed drastically. My metabolism has definitely slowed down, whether that's hormonal or perimenopausal or age or if those things are even distinguishable from each other. I know that I am carrying weight that I just probably will never shift now. Yeah, and I'm accepting that now and just trying to love my body for what it is. Her saying, you know, like checking with the symptoms and 
make a diary. Mm. I am very fortunate that my amazing sports watch um, links to my phone and automatically tells me when I am due on my period, what sort of symptoms I should be having, and I can actually log it all in there, which is great. Oh, that's good. Yeah, so I do. I used to be a lot better at doing it, not in recent months, but I used to be really good at logging it and be saying, like, how do you feel today? And like asking you, they yeah, asked you quite personal questions as well, like, what was your discharge like today? Did you have any? I'm like, oh, that's a bit too much, but you know, thanks, Garmin. Garmin. <laughs> um, things of everything. So there have been a few things that I've noticed. Number one, my energy levels. Number two, my weight. But also my periods themselves have mm. changed. I now have a period every three weeks. Yeah. And I have pretty bad PMS in the run-up, which means that on an average cycle, I probably have 10 to 12 days where I feel good about myself and about the world in which I live. That's and then great. I'm either bleeding or I'm in pain or I'm bloated or what? I'm really fucking angry and upset. And eating the fridge. And eating everything, yeah. So I mean, what, 10, 12 days? Every three weeks, that's all you're getting yeah. to feel normal. That's not enough, is it? No, I'm going to go back to my Chinese herbalist mm. and start taking some herbs. They're relatively expensive, but I mean, how much are you going to pay for a regular period and not feeling like you want to kill yourself once a month? And I d yeah. I've never had suicidal thoughts, so I should probably apologise and take that back. It was a kind of flippant comment to make, but, you know, it, it does change how I feel about myself and, and I do once a month probably feel quite disconnected from myself yeah. and that was something that happened to me when I was going through puberty when my period started because you know it's the circle of life it's the circle of life and the doctor put me on the pill when yeah. I was 15 to solve my heavy periods that came every three weeks and I had really bad PMS mm. and I don't want to go on the pill now I'm 40 yeah. I don't want to go back on to those sorts of fake hormones so and we are our hormones that's the thing yeah we are our hormones totally yeah. I remember in Sydney a few years ago I'd gone to the GP I I just split up from my boyfriend at the time so I was still on the pill and I'd just not kind of decided I was going off it and so I'd just gone to get a repeat prescription and the doctor she was female she was lovely and she actually sat me down and she's like I'm giving you this now but really you know like you're at an age where you either should be thinking about children or da da da. And I walked away like, who is she kind of telling me? How dare you? Telling me that I should have children or I might be going through the menopause. But now looking back, I'm like, this was an excellent doctor saying to me, you, she was trying mm. to warn me. I mean, she was in her 50s. Um, she was trying to warn me that you, darling, are soon going to start going through. The change. The change. Yeah. And I didn't want to believe it at the time. And I think I kind of went home to the, all the girls I was living with. I can't believe it. I had to spend $79. And basically, the GPs just told me that I'm going to be barren within sort of a few years and going through the menopause. She was right. Yeah. Why didn't I listen? And But it's not that, even... Uh, yes, why not didn't you right, listen? But, but I think a lot of it is to do with the fact that it's a new, a relatively new conversation. Yeah. The boomers didn't have these conversations. No. It wasn't talked about. There were no open forums. There were no support groups. People didn't discuss their symptoms, certainly not publicly. You know, my mum had a hell of a time going through the menopause and I could observe that, but it was never spoken about. She would never have spoken to us openly about it. I'm sorry, but look at Theodore. He's asleep and his tail is wagging and that makes my heart burst. So I do think it's in part a conversation that is relatively new to the Gen X, senior millennial generation, because it wasn't, it was never a conversation before now, I don't think. No. And actually, I thought that was really interesting what Emily was saying on the interview that she started the perimenopausal hub because she couldn't find yeah. a conversation for 40 something year old women who still considered themselves to be in their youth, who were still having their period, who were still technically fertile, mm. but were also experiencing symptoms and their bodies were preparing themselves for the menopause. Yeah. I think it's a really important conversation to have because I have definitely noticed a change in, not just in my physical body, but in my emotional body, which is obviously governed a lot by my hormones. And 
it's I understand why women feel like they're going crazy. Yeah. Because you do. You wake up one day and you're like, oh, God, I'm not quite sure if I know myself. I mean, I, I think because of the amount of meditation and yoga and personal development and spiritual development work that both you and I do, we have, kind of have a handle on it. Mm. But I would imagine that without those daily spiritual practices that you and I are yeah. stringent about in our lives... There are definitely days of the month where I wake up and I'm like, oh God, I don't know who I am today. Yeah. And that is a very disempowering feeling. I mean, I remember a few weeks ago, I just said to you on a Sunday, I, I, I'm not being around humans today. Yeah. <laughs> and I knew myself that well that I could just say, I cannot, not even you, I mm. just did not want to see anyone that day. But like you said, it's because we do such deep work that I'm okay to say, I can't do humans today. Yeah. And also, we don't have children. Imagine oh being like, I, can't, I don't want to do humans today, but I've got three small humans which depend on me. I've got, you know, we... A teenager. Oh. I mean, oh my goodness, these poor women, they're going through the menopause when they've got teenage pubescent children. Mm. I mean, oh my God, that That's household. That's what happened with me and my mum. That household. Yeah, I was going through puberty while my mum was going through Oh menopause. my goodness, no. Mm. Go no, live in an awful. ashram for yeah. a... <laughs> Kids, I'm going to an ashram. <laughs> my poor father. Good old Roger. Good old Rog. Interesting interview, conversation that we need to have. Thank God we have women like Emily in our lives so that we can normalise these feelings, so that we can have forums for these feelings, so that we can be around other people who are also having these experiences. Because as always, when you're feeling like you're the only one, it's so amplified, you feel such shame. And there is no, nothing, nothing to be shamed about by being a woman. And I, for one, am willing to start flying the flag for the crone. You know, yeah. like, let's start worshipping those wise old women who... With the normal vaginas. With normal vaginas, with their flappy, flappy labias. And the bushy, their bushy bushes. Bushy bushes <laughs> and their saggy tits and their wrinkled faces. And yeah. they fucking know some shit. Let's start listening to them and worshipping them and allowing them to be really... Making them revered the Revered fucking women in society as opposed to shunned and disposable and we've got no place for you in our society. I think that that's part of the fall of the patriarchy for me is to start bringing reverence back to older women. Yeah. I'm all for it. You go, girl. Thank you. Is, is my face going to go wrinkly? One day. I don't deal with that. Well. Is it going to dry up? Yes. This dewiness going to go. Yes. Your youth will fade as your hormones change. Oh, well. But you can step into your crone years and you can become that wise old woman who sits around a cauldron making potions and giving out advice to people and just being fucking badass. Please get a wart on your nose. I'd be so happy. On that note, I'm just going to go and face slap Emily. Goodbye. Don't do it with your fanny flaps. <laughs> <laughs> We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Unashamedly 40, a special short series briefly interrupting my Unashamedly Human podcast. If you've loved this episode, please share it with your mates, rate and review, and head to the show notes to get in touch. Thanks for listening.